In a former life, I think I wanted to be a coach. And so I had the opportunity when I was in Arlington to be a youth minister that became a chaplain for a uh, high school athletic program and specifically for a high school football team. And it was a good team. And the way, the way it would work is I would go out to practice a couple of days a week, even if it was just for 30 minutes, to make some connections there, see how things were going with people, uh, talk to the coaches, say hi, just be present for a little while. And then on Fridays, I had the joy of showing up with all the other coaches and being there when the team uh, got there to get dressed for the game and getting to do a 15-minute uh, devotional for them before the game, praying with them, praying with any players or coaches that wanted, to be, uh, wanted me to pray with them, talking with them about life, just being present and, and being a minister to everyone involved with this, with this football program. And so I remember one day in particular where I was out at practice, and it was, um, it was probably September, I'm guessing. I know it was, I was thinking late September because the season, we were right in the middle of the season. And it's still hot in Texas, and they're practicing at 2, 3 in the afternoon, so it is blazing hot outside. And as the team just kind of drags onto the field, you can tell it's probably not going to be one of those exciting days of practice. And they get out there, and they get their helmets on, and they're stretching and everything, and the defense practices first. And so I'm there, and we're just kind of watching them, and it's like they're just going through the motions. No one really wants to be there, and that happens when you're practicing, especially toward the middle of the season. But no one really wants to be there. The coaches are upset with the players. They're upset with each other. Players are upset with each other. It's hot. Everyone's drenched. Everyone's just ready to get some water and get out of there. So the defense gets done practicing, and they take a little break. And I see the coaches trying to regroup and get this practice back on track. So they call them. It's time to go to offense because you're going to practice no matter what the weather's like. And so we get out there, and... Um, I would go and stand at different places on the field. The team is just kind of spread out doing different things. And so this day, for whatever reason, I go and I stand by the quarterback's coach, and the quarterbacks are standing there just throwing passes to the wide receivers as they're warm-up. And as they're there, we're just standing, I'm talking with the coach, and we're wiping sweat off of our head and everything else. And over the next five to ten minutes, some clouds start rolling in, and wind starts to blow. And within about 15 minutes, the temperature has dropped 15 degrees. The wind is blasting through there. And all of a sudden, I start to look around, and those quarterbacks that were just tossing the ball are now jumping back and firing the ball. And receivers that were just kind of jogging are now sprinting down the field and catching the ball. And I look, and over the whole field, there's this energy, there's this excitement that wasn't there 15 minutes ago. And they're yelling at each other, they're headbutting, they're grabbing each other by the pads. They're doing everything they can because all of a sudden this team is filled with life. And they go on to have one of the best offensive practices I ever saw when I was out there. Now how can that happen in one practice where you go from a terrible practice to one of the best practices of the whole season and of several seasons that I was out there with them? It all had to do with that wind that came. Because it was hot. It was sweltering. They were tired. They were worn out. And there was something in that wind. There was something in that temperature change that just brought a freshness, a newness, an energy that wasn't there before. And a life to this team that just a few minutes earlier had basically been lifeless. This story makes me think of another story I know from Scripture. And it's in Ezekiel chapter 37. I want to ask you to go ahead and turn there if you have your Bible. It's in the Old Testament. Ezekiel... If you've never read Ezekiel before, or even if you have, you know it's just kind of a crazy book. 
There are things that happen in here that are just, you read it and you're thinking, what in the world is that? In fact, uh, there's some pretty graphic things in this, in this book. What we're going to read today, it's graphic, but it's not as bad as some other things. And Jews, for a long time, they believed that you needed to be 30 years old to read the book of Ezekiel. That before that, you weren't ready or prepared to handle it. Well, we're going to read it this morning, and it's a story that I'm guessing a lot of you have heard before, or maybe sung a song to, or, or at least heard mention of before. We're going to read the first 14 verses. It says, the hand of the Lord was upon me. That's Ezekiel speaking. And he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and he set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. They had been there for a while. He asked me, son of man, can these bones live? I said, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. Then he said to me, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you will come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I will put breath in you and you will come to life. Then you will know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound, and the bones came together, bone to bone. I looked, and tendons and flesh appeared on them, and skin covered them. But there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to it, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and breath entered them. They came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say, Our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. We are cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, This is what the sovereign Lord says. O my people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord. When I open your graves and bring you up from them, I will put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken and I have done it, declares the Lord. See, the people hearing this at the time are people who are in exile. They've been away from their homeland. They've been away from Israel. They've been away from Judah. Some, quite some time, some had been away for generations, others for just a few years. But either way, they're hearing this in a place that they don't belong. They are foreigners. And many of them still don't feel comfortable. Many of them still feel oppressed. Many of them feel cut off. And this idea of being cut off is not the idea of just mere separation. But many of them are feeling as if God has totally destroyed them and destroyed the covenant that he made with them. They're having a faith crisis because they're looking at this and saying, remember that covenant that God made with us? He didn't even follow through. Now in reality, who was it that didn't follow through on the covenant? It wasn't God. 
It was the people. But they can't see that. They don't remember that. They just know that they're living in a place that's not theirs. And they're wondering where God is, and they're not seeing him. Some have become comfortable with their new life. They have made something pretty good for themselves and have totally forgotten God in the process. So Ezekiel has been sent as this spokesman to them. And sometimes he's asked to share brutal, challenging messages, messages that they don't want to hear, messages that are so harsh they try to hurt Ezekiel. But sometimes God gives him messages of hope to give to the people. And this is one of those. And either way, whether, whether the message is harsh or whether the message is filled with hope, Ezekiel is obedient to going and to acting out and to speaking God's truth in a difficult time for people, for God's people. So he shares this story of a vision, but but here's the thing about all of this. It's not about the people. The people don't do anything in this story. It's not about Ezekiel, because Ezekiel does very little in this story. In fact, he does nothing outside and apart from God. So it's God who acts in this story. It's God who makes things happen. It's God who speaks. Everything that happens, happens by his command. By his breath, his spirit, his wind. We see the word breath or spirit or wind in here. I think it's nine times is what I counted. All of those are the same word. And they can mean different things or they can mean the same thing. But this idea of God's breath, God's spirit, God's wind is coming over these bones. And he begins by leading Ezekiel to this place, this valley, this this place where probably a battle once took place. And these are people who were killed in this battle. And all that's left are the bones. And he asks him a question. Can these bones live? And Ezekiel's smart enough to not answer truthfully because we know the answer we would give. The answer is no. These bones can't live, not apart from God. So Ezekiel gives the right answer. Oh, sovereign Lord, only you know. Maybe he's trying to get out of answering the question. Maybe he recognizes this is a trick question. God's doing this to me. But either way, it's the right answer because he gives the power back to God. And he knows that these bones can only live if God is the one that revives them. There's some things in this story that we need to hear, that the people then needed to hear. The first thing is everything spoken is the word of the sovereign Lord. Ezekiel does not say anything to the bones or the breath, the wind. He doesn't say anything that God does not tell him to speak. So every word spoken is the word of the Lord. The second thing that we need to hear in this is God is reminding his people who feel cut off, who feel destroyed, who are outside their homeland, who are wondering if God can even exist outside of the boundaries of Israel. He's reminding them 
I am the one who's going to revive you and restore you. You can't do this on your own. And he calls them my people. You are my people, indicating the relationship that he still has with them that they have forgotten. But beyond all of this, more importantly than anything here, is the purpose of God's word and action. Then you will know that I am the Lord. See, whatever happens, whatever is spoken, whatever is done, there is no mistaking that it is only from God, that he is the Lord. And the purpose is for us to recognize that. Six years ago, Allison and I had the opportunity to interview here, and um, eventually, obviously, we took the job. We were offered the job. We took the job. And there was something. I remember that weekend, and I remember when we first got here. I remember feeling how vibrant this church was and how exciting things were. And as we talked to people in the interview process and when we first got here, all we kept hearing about was the strength of relationships that people have at this church. And we heard lots of stories and lots of people talk about what God is doing in the life of this church and what God is doing in the lives of the people here. We heard people talk about how strong the leadership was here, the staff, the elders, other leaders in this church. And we could see it. It was visible. And it didn't take us long once we got here to begin making friends of our own and and really building some relationships that we were hoping for and that we were looking for. And it was good and it was exciting. But over time, we grew comfortable. This church grew comfortable. Things became a little predictable, a little too predictable. When conversations about church or worship took place, I would hear from some of you even use terms like low energy, coasting, Something's missing, people would say. And I don't know that it was anything that we changed necessarily. Because the worship, the songs we sing are still pretty much the songs we sang then. The messages, I think, have been good now, just like they were then. We did mission trips then, and we do them now. We did Lots of different things. We had small groups then. We have small groups now. It's not that we changed things. It's not that we went away from things. But when we looked around, if we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with each other, we had become a dry church. Now, there's still signs of life in this church. I don't want you to hear this as a huge negative. There are still signs of life in this church um, this morning Those that were in first service got to witness the baptism. And what a great thing to see a father baptizing his son and then get to pray with the family and friends afterwards. That is life-giving. That is a sign of God's presence in this place. This morning, I got to stand outside right after first service started. I got to stand outside and spend a couple of minutes with a group of, of young people all the way up to grandparents who loaded cars with food and who put on some ties and got dressed up to go down to West Texas where our young men 
are leading worship there this morning and are serving a meal to a church that has been worn out serving others in a community that was devastated by explosions and fire. That's a sign of life from God. Hearing the celebration of milestone marriages and seeing that people that are faithful to each other and how that honors God, it's a sign of life. VBS a couple of weekends ago, as so many good things happen. Trek, we had several people who just got back from spending a week in the mountains of Colorado where they saw and experienced God and shared life together in ways that most of us never will. And God is present in that, and that is life-giving. We have two mission trips coming up. We have a group leaving on, on Friday, Friday or Saturday, that's going to Canada. And then a week later, we have a group that's leaving and going to Houston, both for mission trips. These are signs of life and things that God is doing in the life of this church. We have new people coming in, and I've got to tell you, if you're new to Greenville Oaks, I think this is one of the best times you could possibly be coming in because you're going to get to see and experience something new and fresh that God is doing through this church. And we're glad that you're here. But on the whole, in those conversations that I've had, and even in some of my own feelings, we felt dry. We felt empty. And there are lots of ways we can explain it. There are lots of different things that we've talked about, that you've talked about, that you've thought about. But really, none of those matter a whole lot. I do believe that God is breathing new life into this church. And that's why the elders saw a need for a new vision, for a fresh wind. And I can tell you that there's a lot of prayer and a lot of work that is still going on. And this isn't merely a response to budget or attendance. It's not really about worship styles or finding a great new preacher. It's because of God and his glory. And revival and renewal only come from God and for his glory. It's about getting ourselves out of the way so that God is freed up to do the things he's wanted to do in this church all along. We have the opportunity to take a message of new life, of fresh life, of a new breath, to this city. We can't take a city where we haven't been. But this message is not only for us as a church. See, God wants to revive and restore us as individuals too. Some among us this morning are feeling dry, are feeling empty. I've been there more than once in life. Maybe this is new to you, You've never experienced this dryness before and you're struggling because of it. It scares you a little bit or maybe you've been dry for a while and you've become comfortable in that dryness, in that emptiness. So let me tell you how this process has gone for me. When we started talking about vision, even before that, when we started having those conversations and recognizing that something's missing, there's a dry feeling here what I had to start doing was taking a good, long, hard look in the mirror at myself. My ministry, my leadership, my roles, most importantly, my life. And that's hard to do. 
Because when you look at things, you have to own up to the things that you've done to bring about this, or not done to help us get to where we've been. And as I do this, what I see when I look in the mirror, I see the attitudes. I see the sin in my life. I see the fear. I see the personal things that I wrestle with. I, think, I see the things that distract me. And I know that only the Spirit of God can bring about something new and fresh in my life. I remember in college feeling this way, feeling this dryness. Even at, even at a Christian college, a Christian university, I was going to chapel, I was going to church, I was doing all the right things. I had good relationships with people, good friends. I was reading the Bible, I was going to classes. I, things, life was good, but for some reason inside of me I felt dry. And I remember that, I remember one day, um, there was a guy on campus named Willie Franklin. Some of you may know him. Big guy, played football for the New York Giants. Um, he's a minister now, been a minister for a long time. And I just, I ran into him. And Willie's one of those guys that will walk across campus and he will sing as he's walking across campus. And you'll look at him and he doesn't stop, he doesn't say hi, he just keeps singing as he looks at you. That's his way of saying hi. And it's strange, but it's a, an incredible blessing. And I sat down with him and I don't know what I was looking for. I just told him how I was feeling in my life. And we had a good friend in common that, that told me, hey, you need to go talk to Willie. He's on campus this week. And the question he asked me, and this is what I needed to hear at the time, he said, have you done anything for anyone else lately? Have you served anyone else lately? And I started thinking about it. In all the roles I played, being a leader on campus, and lots of different things, I wasn't doing anything for someone else. So I prayed about that, and I remember walking out of that meeting and seeing a friend of mine sitting outside, and I just asked him, hey, Mark, what's going on? He's like, man, I'm struggling right now. Can you help me? God put that right in my hand, right in my path. That's what I needed to hear at the time. There are lots of different things that we may need to hear. The question is, are you willing to look in the mirror and be honest with God and yourself and ask him, to breathe new life into you and reveal the next step that you need to take. Because when he breathes new life into us, he calls us away from one thing and he calls us to something better. Maybe his voice is gonna tell you, stop comparing yourself to others and remember that I created you and I love you. You've been too busy to see me. Slow down. You're too overcommitted. Learn to say no. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Take a step to work through the issues with your husband or your wife so that your marriage can honor me even more. Apologize to your parents for the way that you've treated them. Forgive your friend who mistreated you. Talk to the neighbors you don't know that well and maybe don't really want to talk to. Stick with your budget so you can be more generous. Turn off the TV and read my word. Stop trying to get so much stuff. Get rid of some of it and live a life of simplicity 
Volunteer to serve in a ministry or a location where you don't feel comfortable. Mentor someone going through a situation similar to one you've already been through. Or maybe you're here this morning and you don't really believe in this. You don't really believe in God. And if that's you, what about taking the step just to ask somebody and to share your doubts and your struggles? I'm, I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to talk with you. I'm willing to spend time with you. What if you took the step just to read Scripture and test it out for yourself to see if it's true? No one says you have to believe in God or believe in the Bible to read it. See, whatever, wherever you are and whatever time you ask God to breathe new life into you, he's going to ask something in return. When God breathes new life into us, he calls us to a better way of life. And when God breathes new life into us, we get to help breathe new life into others. And guess what? Here's some hope for you this morning. Because some of the greatest leaders we know of, some of the greatest leaders in Scripture had to go through this same process of transformation to be able to be used by God. Think about Paul for a minute. I mean, Paul was a religious leader. He did everything right. He believed in the law. He, he did what he was supposed to. Now, maybe he took it a step too far by persecuting those who didn't believe the way he did. But Paul was good. Paul had it figured out. Paul had everything he needed. Yet he encountered God and went through a period of blindness, a difficult time. But on the other side of that, he wakes up and now he's on the other side. And God's using him to share his message, to speak about new life in Jesus Christ boldly and to begin churches and to spread his word throughout the world. God does that. Or what about Peter? Peter's the one who was with Jesus from the start of his ministry. He saw the things he did. He was with him. He heard his teachings. He learned so much, yet when it came down to crunch time, He's the one that said, I don't know that man. You haven't seen me with him. And denied Jesus three times as Jesus was dying for him and for us. But a short time later, he's on the beach with Jesus. And three times Jesus says to him, Peter, do you love me? He says, you know I do, Lord. I love you. Then feed my sheep. And what does he do? He's restored. He's renewed. Because Peter will go out and be one of the greatest and strongest ministers of the gospel ever to have lived. And if they have to go through something like that, then maybe we do too. But either way, God will bring us through that. God will give us new life if we ask for it, if we want that. So if you're empty this morning, if you're dry, if you're lifeless, or even if you don't believe it all, I want you to hear these words from Isaiah 55. Something beautiful that God is calling us to. It says, come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, 
Listen to me and eat what is good, for your soul will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Hear me that your soul may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. You will go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and hills will burst into song before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush will grow the pine tree. Instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. This will be for the Lord's renown, the Lord's glory, for an everlasting sign which will not be destroyed. You see, God is inviting us into a banquet, into a feast a spiritual feast where he wants to feed us and give us something to drink and revive us and renew us and remind us who we are in him. And it is God. God is the one who breathes new life into dry bones, into dry faith, into dry lives, and into dry churches. And he does it so that we will know that he is the Lord. I believe God has amazing things planned for this church. It's already begun, and it's still coming, and we're going to get to experience it together. Let's pray.